breaking news, boys. <laughs> it's the Streakers podcast, episode 26. Isn't this 27? Shit, you're right. It's 27. <laughs> and um it says so right in the header. Oh boy, yeah, this is a uh, this is already starting off. Um yeah, this is a uh, this is Jules. I'm joined by Oak. Yo. And Chev. And not Eric, because he's lame and on vacation. Fuck that guy. And uh, we're the Hex Shrinkers. We're a longtime playgroup joining the multiverse in the hopes of leveling up both our game and yours. We got some spicy normal content for you. But first, we're going to immediately level up your game by talking about some MFN news. Because there's a lot of things happening in the world of magic, as it uh, turns out. So, Chev. Cute, sketchy uh, news jingle. <laughs> What's our first story of the day? First story of the day is an update on the Universes Beyond secret layers. So uh, a little bit of background, Universes Beyond is the idea of using the Magic the Gathering game engine and applying it to third-party properties. Specifically, the example we have of this is the Walking Dead secret layer that came out last year with a bit of tumultuous community impact. We have an official statement from Wizards, which is all cards printed in this manner, which would be a third-party card printed in a secret layer, will see mtg universe versions of the card within six months of their secret layer being released and that is fantastic news because the main issue with the walking dead secret layer wasn't the fact that we now have rick as a magic card although that's not <laughs> great it's the idea of using secret layer as an engine to distribute functionally unique cards that are legal and black border magic especially when secret layer aren't available across the world and all those other things so it has availability issues and now this means that everyone will be able to get their hands on every mechanically unique magic card there are a couple butts though and they're they're a little bit large only a couple only a couple dang the first is the reprints are going to be going through the list which is this slightly rotating group of 300 cards that have a one in four chance of showing up in a set booster. I know they said they would mess with the statistics a little bit, but there's a very small amount of cards that are going to be opened of any given type. So it it leads me wondering, you know, how many of these MTG-verse copies of the card, will it be enough to kind of bring down the price? And also, these MTG universe reprints are going to count as the same card. So... You can only have four total of the Secret Lair and the generic store brand version of Rick in your deck at a given time, which could lead to some confusion because they've said they're not going to use the Godzilla treatment. Now, this is a classic example of two steps forward, one step back, but I really want to focus on the positive here and highlight the fact that this reprint approach might not have been the path taken had it not been for the community input after the Walking Dead Secret Lair. There was a lot of blowback on these cards being printed in this way, and it sounds like Wizards has really listened to us. And it also means for really cool, functionally unique cards, probably Commanders, uh, you won't necessarily need to use the Chester Cheeto version of it. But as for the concerns, you know, time will tell. I think this is a great bit of news because we knew Universes Beyond was coming, and now we have a thing we can kind of hang our hat on that we will be able to play these cards in a in-universe setting. Listen, if they make a Tony the Tiger version, uh, that's what I'm getting. I'm getting that. I know. I was trying to think of a mascot to, to reference, and I was like, if I'm playing a Tony the Tiger or Chester Cheeto or one of those crazy General Mills Two characters, Sam. Like, I'm, I'm going to run it at least for a little bit. Yeah. You need like the, the five-color Super Friends, except it's just all the junk food <laughs> mascots. <laughs> Count Chocula. <laughs> yeah, and then they'll print Ronald McDonald, and they'll have gone too far. 
<laughs> yeah, Ronald McDonald doesn't need one. Make it instead of foods, he makes chicken nuggets. Oh yeah. no, that could be in a happy. Meal. No, the it's a I food token, it but the the art is just a chicken the nugget. Is a chicken nugget. I don't yeah. want Ronald McDonald, but I would accept the uh, the Burger King crew, like you know, the, oh, bur- the Burger Thief, yeah. the Purple Monster dude, and the King as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. They for did that. great. They had like video games back in the day. I I love that. The Purple dude and the Thief are both McDonald's characters. Yeah, it's really just the King. You're thinking of the hamburger. And Grimace. Yeah. Grimace, <laughs> yeah. Grimace and the Hamburglar are McDonald's. Son of, yeah. son of a bitch. All right, well, it is what it is. Yo, can we get a... Let's get Wendy, though. Have her be like Massacre Girl. Just com- incredibly overpowered and just annihilates everything. But, like, just with the, the stupid the little... Twitter the Twitter persona. Yes, pigtails. with the, the raggedy yeah. antails. All right, anyway, let's resume on topic. I have... The on next... to the next story. So, last weekend, or potentially two weekends ago, depending on when you're listening to this, which is contingent on when I decide to get off my lazy ass and edit it, we had the Strixhaven Championship, which is the Pro Tour Mythic Championship, whatever the hell uh, they're calling these things now. (laughs) It's a tournament! It was the premier event for the Strixhaven release set, so... I actually was able to watch a little bit of the top eight on Sunday on magic.tv.twitch. You're welcome, Magic, for that free advertising. It was a spicy tournament and not a spicy tournament in that there were only two decks in the entire top eight. Two different decks, I should say. That's one more than last time I watched with Omnath. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a while, but yeah, this was, well, it was standard and historic, but the final day, the top eight was historic. There was only two decks. There was Jeskai and there was Is It. Specifically, it's going to be Is It Phoenix, uh, based around Arclight Phoenix, and then um, Jeskai taking turns. Uh, technically, technically, there was one copy of Jeskai Control. I'm doing the air quotes for people who are listening, which is everybody, but let's be real. It's, uh, these are all just Jeskai play broken cards decks, so I, it's really two decks, and also the other thing is there was 31 copies copies of Brainstorm in this top eight, which means that everyone was playing four Brainstorms except for some fool who was only playing three, which I'm assuming they didn't win. Congrats to Sam Party for winning the tournament. He was playing Jeskai turns, but uh, two very powerful, very broken blue-red based decks. I think the biggest thing to take away, despite these being matchups that have a lot of play um, and there's a lot of interesting things, and I think that they definitely reward you being good at the game. It's not sort of these sort of free win decks that we've seen um, from a lot of standard recently. I'm concerned about the impact that the mystical archive has had on the historic format because as we've seen uh these decks are all playing a bunch of brainstorms um memory lapse which is the counter spell that puts it on top or bottom uh was out in full effect time warp was the you know the primary thing that you're hitting off this Jeskai turns deck which uh you know generally puts velamachus lorehold into play often cheating cheating into play and then hitting time warp and then when you chain time warps you just you know hit for five in the air over and over again and generally that wins you the game um another way is that if you can discard a time warp with another very broken card and in modern, actually, uh, which is relevant to our conversation from later. For later, um, Faithless Suiting is very powerful, also in the Mystical Archive. That's been putting in a lot of work. That does a lot of work in the Is It Phoenix deck as well. And then uh, Mizzix's Mastery uh, is just a four mana. You get to cast whatever you want out of your graveyard, and God forbid you get to overload that thing for eight. You get to cast everything out of your graveyard. And uh, turns out that playing Time Warp for four is even better than playing it for five. Who knew? So while it was interesting and enjoyable to watch all these top players play at the highest level, play these very interact because these are exactly the type of decks that I like to play. They're very tempo e controly based, and um, I love me a Faithless Student, and I love broken. me a Brainstorm, and and then I love coming through with a dragon on top. But I'm concerned about the overwhelming dominance and presence of these cards. And I think that we're going to see a ban very soon. I wouldn't be surprised if Faithless Looting or Brain... Probably, it's probably Brainstorm and then Faithless Looting. And then after that, you can start maybe hitting combo pieces like uh, Mizzix's Mastery. I don't think Time Warp is really an offender here, but Mizzix's Mastery is just... 
little little sketchy for my uh for my likes. But once again, congrats to Sam Party for winning the tournament. He played like an absolute boss. And I do like these both these decks, but if you want to play these decks in historic, I would recommend that you uh you go make that investment now or uh get your playing in now before Wizards swings the ban hammer. Yeah, I believe there was something about when the Mystical Archive got dropped into Historic, it was very much, we're putting it in here. We know some cards are busted, so we're not including them. But we're going to keep everything else and kind of see what happens, expecting like a ban update, you know, as things transpire. So I'd be surprised if we don't see one soon. I really hope that they are aggressive and proactive with these sort of things, like they mm -hmm. said they were going to be. But they've been good about it these past six months or so, maybe even nine months or so, uh, going back to Omnath and Uro. But let's keep on that train. Let's just keep these formats yep. healthy and good. Um, Arena is one of the best things that's happened to the game in a while. Let's keep that safe. Another thing that I did want to mention just because I looked at my notes and was like, oh, I have another note here. Um, green and black. Where's green and black? They're not in the tournament. We have super powerful things like Fatal Push, Thoughtseize, but no representation of the top eight. And green, which I particularly and the rest of us always bitch about being super busted, no green representation. So it just shows you what happens when you bring in legacy staples and ban in modern cards and you decide to put them in your format. So... It's weird that I'm actually rooting uh, to see maybe some, like, you know, Green Black Rock or Jund come back through. That would be nice. I, I love me some Rock and some Jund. Both of which are very prevalent decks in Modern. And speaking of Modern, the, this is going to be very relevant for our main topic today, but I wanted to give a quick, quick update on the Modern meta from my perspective with the addition of Modern Horizons 2. Set which is not even out in paper yet, but it is out on MTGO. First thing I'd like to say is just a disclaimer. I don't actually play Modern myself because I'm poor, but the thing about that is that YouTube is free. So I get to watch a lot of that. And just sometimes when, you know, bored at work, there are some great commentators out there. Anyways, I've consumed quite a bit of content on this, so I just wanted to give a quick report on some of the cool new decks I've seen or cool old decks that have received modifications uh, with the addition of this new set. Uh, first of all, one of my old favorite decks is Back from the Dead, and that is Living End. Ha. Thank you very much. I'm here till ha. Tuesday. <laughs> Might be using those crickets again. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna find a badoom. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I have a feeling it has to do with Shardless Agent, you know, hitting that exact point on the curve you want to hit for Living End. For anyone who doesn't know, Living End is basically you cycle cards for the first two turns, and then you play a Violent Outburst, or Demonic Dread, or Shardless Agent, now. That will always cascade into Living End, because you have no CMC 1 or 2 cards, uh, and Living End will essentially switch the graveyard and the battlefield, which, surprise, you already have some cards uh, in your graveyard, because you cycled them. Awesome. So yeah, speaking of Shardless Agent, um, new deck I saw, which is kind of meme uh, it seems, but really powerful and probably frustrating to play against <laughs> as well, is called Teamer Waterfalls. Basically, you play B Bloodbraid Elf, you play Chardless Agent. Uh, another new addition, which is a card that's never been printed before, Bloodbraid Marauder. Uh, looks like Busta Rhymes uh, in the art, if you ask me. <laughs> it is a 2-mana, 3-1, that can't block, and if you have Delirium, the spell is Cascade. So, start with a Bloodbraid Elf. <laughs> cascade into a Chardless, Cascade into a, a Bloodbraid Marauder, and then you hit, like, a lightning bolt or something. You know, just some <laughs> some good card. <laughs> That's a lot of damage. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe you hit them again. I don't know, maybe that'll be a deck. <laughs> That'd be wild. I haven't seen that, but that's just an idea I had. Don't steal it. Or or do you steal it? <laughs> um, a card we're going to talk about later, I think, was a, a fan favorite amongst the group. Uh, General Ferris is looking nasty in five-color Niv-Mizzet, uh, which is a deck that's already all about 
playing multicolored spells. General Ferris himself, uh, whenever you play, whenever he's out and you play a multicolored spell, you get to create a four-four golem. So that just sort of adds Ooh. to the uh, the fun of that deck. Two more decks. Uh, the first one being Jund, which we just mentioned. Uh, it got so many so many new toys with this set. There's Torok. There's Braids. Uh, Obsidian Charmaw, which kind of wrecks. Oh, jeez, what's it called? Tron, <laughs> and um, of course, our our man, the little goblin, Ignoble Hierarch, which enables a very consistent uh, turn two Liliana of the Veil, which is just insane. Uh, and yeah, the last deck I'll say is um, Merfolk is looking good. A uh, blue white Merfolk that plays um, Unsettled Mariner that. Merfolk, quote unquote, synergy, um, <laughs> do, does very similar things to the new Merfolk God, uh, which you know essentially gives your creatures ward one, and Tide Shaper, which is it's it's a one one, but if you kick it, you get to turn one of your opponent's lands into an island for as long as it's in the battlefield, and then it gets plus one plus one as long as it's an island. So it's kind of like another copy of Spreading Seas. It doesn't draw you a card, but having um, having your opponents have islands. Uh, when you're playing Merfolk, it's very important because many of the lords give all your creatures island block. It's looking, it's looking wild so far. That that's uh, if you take one thing away from this, uh, take that. <laughs> it's it's going to be the, the wild west out there in modern. Oh yeah, great update, Oak. I think my biggest joy from this was, uh, you know, you got a good format when Jund is a uh, is like a good deck, you know, because it's just it's just the most fair deck. And I yes. think Modern really needs that right now. The sad thing is, though, you're right. Jun got, like, you know, I can probably off the top of my head name, like, five good Jun cards. It's kind of sad, right? Because, like, when Wizards prints all these cards, <laughs> they're like, yo, this is going to be great in Jund. It's kind of Wizards saying, hey, Jund fucking sucks right now. Let's make it better. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Yes. So, uh, it's definitely not been a tier one deck for a long time. But, you know, I'd love to see it come back. I'm all about making Liliana of the Veil uh, a, a good card. But speaking of Modern. That's kind of why we're here today, right? There is a uh, oak. You really, you kind of spoiled it. You you ruined the uh, you ruined the surprise. Uh, Modern <laughs> Horizons Two is a uh, a set that is <laughs> in various stages of being out. Uh, it is on Moto. Uh, it's not coming to Arena, and then it comes out in paper. I believe like a week from when we're recording this. So probably in the next couple days by the time you're hearing this, it is a straight to modern set. So there's already been a Modern Horizons one, which provided us such gems as Hogak and Urza, Lord High Artificer, and uh, Arkham's Astrolabe, which all notably are either banned or uh, heavily watched. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we're hoping to shake the modern format up again with this straight to modern set, the first type of its kind. But of course, these cards also go into Legacy, Vintage, and most importantly, Commander, uh, which we might talk about a little bit later. Yeah, there might be some uh, Commander tech in here. Yeah. Not um, sure. Potentially. This is something that we might say throughout the cast, but at least while I was watching, uh, at least for like the first solid week or four or five days of preview season, I was like, ah, right. This is just another Commander set. Because let me tell you, <laughs> Wizards was really going ham. At, after that, they were like, oh, right. Shoot, Modern Horizons. We'll put some... everyone else now that. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, you know, just kind of another statement that Commander is and uh, I think will be their top priority for a while. So anyway, new set. Got to do some prime picks. Let's get right into it. Since this is a modern set, what do you guys think is the card that is most likely to actually see play in modern? Because like I said, there's a bunch of cards we know they're going to see play in Commander, but we're here for modern. Let's talk about modern just for a little bit. Uh, what do you guys think is going to cause a nice little splash? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll jump in here because I think I have a pretty uh, spicy pick. You know, we, we, we got a land cycle in this set that I think is going to make waves in the modern format. In fact, we could probably end up seeing these in pretty much every deck out there. And those are fetch lands. 
And that's about all I know about modern. Over to you. Chev, I actually do have a question just because I don't remember off the top of my head. Are they printing all 10 or is it- No, only... this is just the enemy fetch lands. Okay. Hopefully we see allied ones again soon, but this is just the enemy fetch lands. In old border as well though. And you can get them foil old border, which appears kind of fuego. That is cool. I mean, the enemy fetches are the less available and the more expensive. So mm -hmm. always love to see those reprinted. Thank you for that scalding hot take, Chuck. We really appreciate that. Um, we appreciate your innocence. Burn myself a little. We appreciate your innocence, and hopefully uh, Oak and I can teach you just a little bit over the course of this podcast. Chev, pop quiz. Which of the five enemy-colored fetches is going to be played most? <laughs> scalding Tarn. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> the price is like three times as high. That's the only reason I know. Yeah. So, actually, I'm not 100%. When in doubt, bet on red-blue. I'm not 100% on that because I think the mm. high price is mostly due to legacy. Uh, it being such a popular oh, card for the legacy. Okay. Yeah. But um, that was more of a joke. But I, I don't actually know which is going to be played the most. But we'll <laughs> Honestly, see. Honestly, rest in peace, Splinter Twin. That was when Scalding Tarns were like fucking $200. That was crazy. All right, now let's let's get over to some real takes, guys. Teach me something about this format. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of red cards, though. Oak, you're on brand. All right. So, Ragavan Nimble Pilfer. It is a one-mana, two-one monkey pirate. It is... Do you guys remember Kerry Zev? It's the token yeah, that yeah, she made. Yeah. It's yeah, a little baby yeah, monkey. Okay, yeah. okay. But now he's got his own card. And you know, he's way better than his token. Let me tell you what. Whenever he deals da combat damage to a player, you get to create a treasure token and exile the top card of that player's library. And until end of turn, you can cast that card. Also, he doesn't have haste, but he does have dash for one and a red. Now, I know I was trash talking Dash not too long ago uh, on one of our previous podcasts. It, you say it, not it too long ago, but that yeah. was like... 13 episodes ago, which is like oh, three months. <laughs> yeah, fair. Okay, that's fair, fair. It, it was our, like, throwback one, our throwback to our first, like, the first cards we bought, you know, as a group. I, I was trash-talking Dash, and, you know, I, I did, after seeing this card, I did some thinking, and I think the real problem with Dash is that there's just no cards worth dashing, <laughs> if that makes any <laughs> yeah. sense. Until now. And yes, until now. And le Now, let me explain. Dash does have some upsides. Namely that once a creature is done dashing, you play for his dash cost, he gets haste, you probably attack with it, it comes back to your hand. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's the good part. It comes back to your hand. <laughs> so it, it avoids um, any non-instant speed removal, essentially. <clears throat> so mm -hmm. there's actually, I, I think, some interesting mind games you could play with a card like Ragavan, which gives you such a great mana and card advantage and also it's a 2-1 which when I was typing this out I actually thought it was a 1-1 but now just looking at the card again I'm just like oh man yeah like I think that extra damage can make a lot of a difference so if an opponent knows you have a Ragavan in hand I think you can play some real cool mind games if they see a Ragavan they'll be like oh I don't want this guy to have this so they, they might leave up some mana for like a removal for like a, a fatal push or like an abrupt decay or a lightning bolt and if they do that, or leave, say, a blocker up because they don't want a Ragavan to get through when you dash it the next turn. That is just... that That's like wasted resources, essentially. Um, and it's especially wasted if you decided not to dash Ragavan the next turn. To kind of tell what I'm getting at, it's sort of like a, you put your opponent in a catch-22 situation. So this goes back to what I was saying before. It's like, there was no creatures worth dashing. There's no creatures worth forcing your opponent to make this decision for that had the ability dash. Um, and that was kind of what put it off. But I think on this card especially, or I mean just on just on good cards, like it can really be 
used as a good tool. And and I'm really glad to see it here, to be honest. Yeah, this card is it's a huge tempo thing, right? Like you're you're controlling the tempo of the game. You're forcing your opponent to make a suboptimal decision, whether that's in terms of getting damage in or using their uh their their mana, their their resources. I think another thing that's great about Ragavan is that it noticeably doesn't have the claws that a lot of things have had when they take or exile your opponent's stuff um, that you can spend mana of any color to cast it. But Ragavan does give you a treasure. And in a format like Modern, if you exile something off the top, you're probably exiling something that costs one, two, maybe three mana. But it's so easy. If you get to hit in, right, and they have a lightning bolt, you can... Well, you're playing red, so you have red mana, right? But if they have, uh, say, a Fatal Push, or they have a Serum Visions or something, and you're not playing those colors, you can easily just use that treasure, boom... And then you get that advantage, you know, immediately. You can only play it that turn. But it's mm. like it's not like in Commander where if you hit with Ragavan and you exile their ten mana Ulamog, it's like, well, okay, it's it's you know, it's gone. My opponent's not gonna play it against me, but <laughs> I don't get that benefit. You know what I mean? Whereas something yep. like modern, it's very likely that you'll just be able to just slam that off. So even if you just have Ragavan on the battlefield, your opponent has to be cognizant so that you don't get that hit in because you're in modern. You're probably playing only good cards and they yeah. don't want you to have that that access you know what i mean yeah so yeah. yeah god forbid they're playing like death shadow or something you can just drop that with a treasure um that, that's actually very interesting though just as a last remark on this guy that i, I totally didn't notice that clause missing uh where you get to pay man of any color to cast the exiled card i, I think that's very fair but also the fact that they give you a treasure goes some way towards like mitigating that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. it's a good compromise, honestly. And, it, and of course, it's very flavorful. Like he's you know stealing some treasure and like one of your opponent's spells or something. It's just awesome. It would have been funny if uh, obviously it would be a, a completely different ga- card, but if it was basically just the reverse of Carry Zev, where like he attacked and then you just got a Carry Zev token. <laughs> <laughs> a one like, three hey, with like menace first strike. Yeah, yeah, come on, let's let's go, let's go. <laughs> Ragavan, so the monkeys running the show. We know that. Yep. the inmates are running the asylum. That'd be hilarious. Well, Chev doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, but Oak and I at least can say like the cycle of, of Oak elementals. They're going to see play. The fetch lands are going to see play. Um, you know, there's a, like ignoble hierarch, like uh, Oak was saying in Jund. That's going to see play. So I tried to pick something that's like outside the immediate, but I think this card is actually going to have a huge impact, and that's unmarked grave. So Unmarked Grave is a sorcery for one and a black. It just says, search a library for a non-legendary card, put that card into your graveyard, and then shuffle. So this is the first real, like, I say real as in playable Entomb effect that Modern's had. You know, there's, like, certain creatures that will, like, do that, but they cost, like, five or six mana. You're not playing that in Modern. You're already dead on turn four. It doesn't matter. So Unmarked Grave is the first playable Entomb effect, and uh, the graveyard is just such a a busted zone in terms of modern magic. There's so many broken things that you can do with the graveyard, and being able to essentially tutor something into your graveyard is basically like tutoring it right into your hand because the graveyard oftentimes is an extension. Um, You can do simple things like just put a f- like any sort of card with like flashback or retrace um in there but i was just talking about um the historic thing you can put your arc like phoenix right into your graveyard already you don't even need to like you know find it or somehow discard it you can just put it right in there there's a huge reanimator theme in this set uh, specifically so if you're trying to do any sort of reanimation things this is going to be the premier way to get that in there dredge people forget that dredge is just still super busted so like you can just Put your actually honestly forget if Grave Troll is banned, but you know you can put your Grave Troll or your Stinkweed Imp or whatever it is banned. Yeah, I know Old it's been like Grave Troll. Yeah, 
Yeah, I know it's been it was like banned, unbanned. I think it got banned and then maybe unbanned again. It's a whole it's a whole mess. But Uro also, I believe, is still legal and modern, so you can put your. Um, Oh no, sorry, sorry. You can't. You can't actually put Uro. It does say non-legendary, which I, th- I think is a nice little uh, flavor win because it's an unmarked grave, and then also just because <laughs> if you could put legendaries in there, you just put Gristlebrand. That's just you would. That's what you do. So I think it, it gives you a bit more constraints on deck building. But anyway, like I was saying, there's so many busted graveyard things that you can already do, and being able to just tutor something straight there, it just accelerates your combo. It makes it happen quicker. I mean, this is basically a demonic tutor in the decks that are going to want it. There's also Protean Hulk which is, you know, has caused a whole fuss stir in the EDH community. Um, so that's, you can easily get into some uh, dangerous combos with putting that in there too, and then reanimating it. I totally didn't realize the flavor of Unmarked Grave and being that being a non-legendary creature. That is awesome. I, yeah, I really like that. it's pretty cool. And then let me just uh, read you the flavor text just because it's pretty solid. Um, this is uh, from Doros, the Expedition Guide. It says, I'm sure they were once someone important, but I couldn't tell you who they were. Very flavorful card, front to back. So... We mentioned that this is a new straight-to-modern set, but there's not only new cards. There are some reprints in here, but they're coming from a weird place. Chev, would you, would you tell, tell us about these reprints? Yeah, so these the, the reprint slot, I think we, we saw it, the, the idea of dedicated card slots. The first modern example was with Dominaria, where all packs came with a legendary. Then, most recently in Strixhaven, we've had all packs come with a Mystical Archive card. And for Modern Horizons 2, all packs are coming with a card that is from pre-modern that is now being printed into modern uh and they do get one of my favorite things i've talked to oak about this a ton of times my favorite thing of masters 25 which had every card had a watermark from the set it originally came from and it made them kind of look super cool and remember these older sets that you may or may not have been around for and that treatment is coming back with these old reprinted into modern cards where you find one per pack and there's a ton of delicious goodies in here. Since I am the one who still knows nothing about modern, my take is more we get a lot of commander staples getting reprinted that probably won't see a lot of play in modern overall, but are hopefully going to drop the price for commander decks. Things like Mirari's Wake, Karmic Guide, Chance Encounter, Imperial Recruiter, all are $10 plus each. And especially like a thing like Chance Encounter, which is a coin flip win con. Um, got up to 12 after Battle Bond and is now down to $4. All of these things that are, are getting another another chance to be reprinted, another way to get a copy and hopefully drive the price down. And Chev, these, unlike the cards that are being printed into the list, since these are guaranteed one per pack, the supply is going to be a lot higher, right? So the actual financial impact will be much more real. Is that correct? Yes, that is that is correct. I'm I'm hoping I didn't speak out of my ass there <laughs> we've seen booster fun has reached total chaos um with this most recent set so all set boosters will come with one new to modern reprint uncommon rare or mythic all draft boosters also come with one new to modern reprint card uncommon rare or mythic so yes they will be included in every single pack you open up all right well chev i hate to i hate to break it to you i don't think a majority of the cards that you mentioned are going to see modern play shoot darn oh uh, yeah which, I mean, it's just better for us, right? Because these are commander staples, but we're not going to have the uh, the modern players kind of snatching them up. Mirari's Wake, just it's so hard to play five mana cards. Um, same thing with Karmic Guide, even though there is some good reanimator themes in this set. I just don't think Karmic Guide is what you're going to be doing. Uh, there's a much more powerful two mana reanimation spell in this set called Persist. 
chance encounter no way in hell is that ever getting played in i mean modern. i don't know i think a coin flip tribal deck in modern you know really has a chance just <laughs> to show how much if you i know really like losing on turn three to decks that are much better than yours you can play that deck or you'll somehow win by turn two with some ridiculous set of cards one every thousand times and it'll upset whoever you play against. that's true yes that sounds like the few times that i tried to play a uh, modern on magic online that sounds about right <laughs> i will i do think imperial recruiter probably could see some play though because there is a very prominent humans deck being able to tutor up uh one of the powerhouses from that uh seems pretty pretty good but let's get some real takes yeah, well, I, I got a real take. I think this is a little spicy. Uh, it's another black card, actually. I'm on, I'm on a roll with these black cards, um, and that's Patriarch's Bidding. This is uh, another another commander staple, so I'm glad that they're reprinting it because I think this is a card that not as many people know about it as they should. So Patriarch's Bidding, it's a sorcery, three black and a black, so five mana, and then each player chooses a creature type. Each player returns all creature cards of a type chosen this way from their graveyard to the battlefield. Okay, so it's a mass reanimation spell for tribal. It does say each player, so... If you're playing this in Commander and you're playing against another tribal deck, uh, they will also get a boon. But, you know, there's some nice political aspect to it. Um, but I think what this can really do in Modern is there are a lot of tribal decks in Modern that have almost gotten there, you know, been Tier 2 or have had their moment in the sun but haven't been there. Uh, Oak was talking about Merfolk earlier. There was a Goblins deck. There's been Elves. Um, I just mentioned there is a Humans deck that's actually very powerful. Um, I think that a lot of these would greatly benefit from Patriarch's bidding because a lot of these things, the reason that they don't exist or don't exist to the full extent that they could nowadays is that things are so streamlined in modern that they get disrupted and you don't have as much of a board and now you can't recuperate in enough time to really have an impact. But if you were able to splash a Patriarch's bidding or even play a Patriarch's bidding if you're playing, um, there is actually a Rogue's deck now in modern too. Being able to just all of a sudden totally recoup all your losses and have that late to that mid to late game resurgence and kind of be able to eke out that those last few points of damage or whatever with a patriarch's bidding i think that's a a way that something like maybe like a black green elves or a blue black rogues or even like a red black goblins or if you're getting trying to get really spicy maybe like a, a demir or an esper or merfolk um, i think that is a, a a nice tool that they would have i think it'll probably be a sideboard card maybe um not going to be a four of, uh, especially since it's double black and it's five mana. But I think this is something that people are sleeping on. And I think it definitely could prop up uh, a lot of these tribal decks that have not quite got there in modern. That's interesting, Julian. I think I, I agree with you for the most part. Um, I'm I'm a little surprised you picked this, though, g given the five mana cost. That that seemed a little bit, that seemed unlike you in terms of impact in modern. Um, like, I could totally see this in Elves, like, because, you know, I don't know, you play... Elves generates a ton of mana, uh, and this would be a great card to bring all your Elves back. But your opponent could also just name, like, Lurgoyf, and... <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I mean, yeah. W one thing I appreciate is that they didn't they didn't reprint anything super disgusting. There's no Brainstorms or anything like that. And the, the list of reprinted cards is pretty small. It's only, I believe, 35, maybe 40 cards. Um, so yeah, he's around 42. There wasn't a huge selection to pick from, and I wanted to pick something that was a little spicy. Um, and also, I guess the easy pick that I could have did was Counterspell. I honestly though don't think a Counterspell will get played, but I don't think it's going to shake up the format. There are plenty of other counters already in Modern that will see more play than Counterspell. And yes, Counterspell is powerful, but it's not going to break the format in half like you know, I mean, we have Force of Negation. Why would you play Counterspell over your first, like, two or three Force of Negations? I don't know. But yeah, maybe it's partially I just want Patriarch's Bidding to be good. I feel like if Patriarch's Bidding is good, then you don't have a busted format. So, fingers crossed, I guess. 
But uh, yeah, would you pick? Because you you picked a, a legacy staple. Yeah. So Julie, you said there's no busted cards in this set, but my, my pick is shardless agent. <laughs> so uh, what's up with that? No, I'm just kidding. It's um, it's, it's not busted, but it, I, I think it's probably the most powerful reprint. Yeah, so Shardless Agent, I mean, I already mentioned it in two of the decks that, you know, I, I saw played in um in my little journey into modern uh, in this past, like, week. But for the longest time in Legacy, it was such a good card. And, you know, like Bug Delver, for example, or Salt Eye Delver, was a, a very good deck and very, very competitive, pretty much up until Deathrite Shaman got banned yeah. <laughs> uh, in Legacy. Okay. But he... You know, Modern's not quite as powerful a format as Legacy, and just because we don't have Deathrite Shaman doesn't mean decks that want to play Shardless Agent aren't going to be good. Um, so, yeah, the two decks I mentioned before, which were Living End and Teamer Waterfalls. Teamer Waterfalls is more of a meme deck, and Living End kind of a blast from the past, but still very powerful. Um, I'm thinking this is going to create a archetype in Modern, uh, its own, like, Jund with blue, <laughs> you know it's its own bug, uh, bug shardless bug. Um, did I say bug Delver before? I think I did. I meant shardless bug. <laughs> um, yeah. So like you're saying before, there's just so many two good like cards in the one to two drop range in modern and three two. One of which is will be shardless agent. Um, I, I feel like in the right deck, this is just never going to be a dead draw. Um, uh, like again, there's no Deathrite Shaman or him to Torok in modern, but we do have Ice Fang Coatable, which, you know, is basically a uh, Baleful Strix. Yeah. Um, you know, there's Abrupt Decay, there's Goyf, because if you think about this card as like, oh, it's a Tarmogoyf with Kicker 1, and you get to put a 2-2 into play, it's like, w would you play that in a deck that already had four Tarmogoyfs? It's basically four more Tarmogoyfs. I mean, what could go wrong? Eight <laughs> you know? Tarmogoyfs? Yeah, I know, right? Like, eight, eight Goyf? It's it's a deck. It's gonna be now. So there's so much good stuff in that in that low mana range in modern. There's just no way this card can't be good. I I don't think again that it's gonna be busted, like you said. I, I you know I said that as a joke. Um, because it is at the end of the day it is just a two two, but it's such a good card for deck consistency. Um, because it's it's just never a dead draw. You always get something good with it. Uh, something some good two mana spell. So. Yeah, I'm I'm I, looking forward to it. <laughs> I 100% I 100% agree. Getting to play spells for free, getting extra carnivores like that is just always good. And there's some some fair things you can do with it, like you know hitting a lightning bolt is perfectly serviceable. Like you said, there's just so many good one and two mana cards. Um, but you know you can also do some silly things like hit an ancestral vision or like a living death. Uh, death, like you said, I think this is gonna be one of the premier hits. Um, for living death, and I think that deck is kind of uh, on the rise again. And also just two twos win games. You know what I mean? Like they do, you know, in modern death shadow aside, what are you really playing? That's super huge. Like you're, you're winning with small creatures anyway. So it's like, you know, an yeah. extra, an extra two, two that gets to attack over a couple turns, especially if you're playing a disruptive tempo deck. Yep. That's, that's winning you the game. So yeah, I think Charlotte is going to be, uh, it's going to have a huge effect on the format. Yeah, we exactly. We've already seen that with like Snapcaster mage, like some decks win with just Snapcaster. And yeah, like, exactly. 100%. <laughs> so, yeah. 100%. Anyway, Chev, are you out there in the void? Would you like to return? We've, we're done talking specifically modern. Zoned out for a bit. Let you guys, you know, discuss these random things you found on the internet. I did see your uh, your eyes glaze over there for a bit in the voice call while Oak and I were just like, oh boy, oh God, modern, let's go. 
So, uh, Chev, what's our what's our next topic? Next one, as we get to the, I think the middle the middle topic, um, best flavor text, because we have a whole lot of stuff. We know that Wizards is putting a little bit of extra effort into the flavor text for these kind of sets that bring about a lot of old characters and blast from the past. And we know a lot of legendary creatures come from flavor text too. So maybe these flavor texts will be the sign of creatures to come. I don't think so. I think we all decided on our favorites while we were hungry. For me, it was an early leader. It was one of the first cards spoiled. And it was a four mana white reanimation um, called Late to Dinner. And the art shows kind of a rhino in a full suit looking fly as fuck at a table with his ghostly elephant friend. And they're kind of just chilling. And the flavor text is... I knew you were set in your ways, friend, but even I didn't expect you to keep our engagement under the circumstances. <laughs> and so this is a direct upgrade to reanimate or whatever the white version Zombify. of it is called, the, the four mana. Um, uh, resurrect. Because it also makes a food. It gets them their dinner. And just, I, I really want to know what, what plane, you know, this, this rhino and elephant are on. Because it doesn't quite seem like Ravnica. With we, we have seen animals in the Boros legions on Ravnica, but they're more kind of like war focused, while these guys seem to be just enjoying something in like Victorian England with animals. So this is part of like I really like the the story this text tells of like two old friends that not even death can keep them apart. And I wanna go there, like now. Victorian elephants just sound awesome. <laughs> My guess is it's gotta be on Bant. Uh you have like the rocks Bant. on Bant. Mm. You know. Okay. Um like okay. Rocks War Monk. And you know, Locks and on are just everywhere. I'm pretty sure there's yeah. some on Alara or on Bant. <laughs> so. I know the thing that gets me is their outfits. They're they're like That's dressed true. to the nine. We'll see. We'll probably won't see it for a while. But one of the best things about this set is just the weird directions art can take. Yeah, they they really are dressed more like Victorian, like they'd be on Innistrad or something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> archetype in Innistrad of the Fall: elephants, <laughs> zombie elephants. <laughs> Spirits. Spirit. Oh, spirit elephants. There you go. That's a better. That's a better one. Quintorius. <laughs> all right. What What else you guys got? Well, like you said, Chev. I think we all. I'm gonna steal Oak's joke. He made it right before the pod, but uh, we really, we really hit the flavor text because uh, all of ours are all of ours are about food. Uh, my pick was Scuttletide, which uh is actually also an Innistrad uh themed. It is a themed card. It is an enchantment for one and a blue. It has pay one discarded card, create an O3 blue crab creature token. And then it has Delirium. Crabs you control get plus one, plus one, as long as there are four more card types among cards in your graveyard. Theoretically, you could just discard a bunch of cards, get a bunch of, get a bunch of crabs, and just get in there and freaking pinch them, you know? But uh, the flavor text is, is, is very simple. It's attributed to Ghoul Caller Gisa, you know, one of the homies, one, one, of, the, one of the baddest bitches in the verse. We're going to need more butter. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger boat. We're going to need more butter to catch these crabs. And uh, the art is just, you know, the the inky black sea of Innistrad and uh, just so many crabs, so many crabs just scuttling up on the beach. They're coming in. They were a little slow to the party. They were going to actually going to be the army that was going to take down Emrakul, but then fricking Liliana showed up and was just like, I got zombies. Oh, oh. but uh, you know, the crabs, they're putting in the work. Crabs were the plan B, but now the residents of Innistrad just get a massive crab bake. So, Oh, for real. There are worse things. Oh yeah. I mean, making some food token. Listen, I, uh, I went to college in Maryland and let me tell you, there's one thing Maryland's known for. It's crabs. Yeah, I'm sure it is. And I mean that in multiple... No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, anyway, Oak, what do you got? You got some uh, refreshments for us after we eat all this tasty food? Not only do I have refreshments, 
Julian. <laughs> I got reinforcements. Oh, boy. These, <laughs> these are the bottle golems. Pretty bad card, but very cute. Their flavor text, reinforcements, and refreshments is a callback to definitely one of the most powerful cards in uh, the Duretti Precon, which is bottle gnomes. Um, <laughs> bottle gnomes are reinforcements <laughs> or refreshments. Who knows which? I probably put the stress on the wrong word there. Whatever. Bottle gnomes was a... Uh, you sack them, you gain three life. They cost three uh, generic to play, and they were one three. So, not actually very good, unless you get to recur it every turn with a Duretti emblem. But, Bottle Golems is a card that actually may be playable in Limited. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Four mana, common. Three three, trample. When it dies, you gain life equal to its power. So, you're probably gaining three life anyways. But, not bad, honestly. And you know what? The bottle golems are really cute. I'm going to say the bottle gnomes were kind of like a little funky looking. They, like they were kind of endearing, but I really like the golems and I'm glad you can't just sacrifice them because it would make me feel really sad to sacrifice those little guys. Um, and yeah, you should just go look at the art if you can, <laughs> but awesome card and or, a great callback. Well, you know what? When we, when we do our little prelude event, I, uh, I'm hoping I'm going to open a bunch of those dudes and I'm just going to, Come at you with the army. The brew <laughs> army. Pump them up, swing in, gain six life or something. It's gonna, get them going, be, yeah. It'll be great. Uh, I do think we should put an honorable mention out to the card that inspired this category. Chev so graciously came to our Discord and said, guys, you have to. You have to read the flavor text on this. It is the uh, the Urban Daggertooth, cute little dinosaur friend, and uh, he's walking around the city, and uh, his flavor text is just stop, smell the roses, eat the peoples. <laughs> <laughs> he's a simple man he is simple a simple dinosaur. man and uh chev i will tell you i am also a simple man and if there's one thing i love it's plain edh so let's talk about the best commanders because that's what we're all here for really let's do it now oak oak has a a, a commander that rolls off the tongue so let's let's hear what what he's got in store what, why why is the font on his notes just so much bigger than ours <laughs> like is he just trying to, he has to be able dominance? to read it when he pronounces it <clears throat> uh <laughs> you get me, one me, shot me. okay as Moran, I'm done. <laughs> okay. As Moran Namardicardis As Moran Did you say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? Thanks. Okay. Yes. Uh, essentially, that's what I'm gonna call it when I make this deck. I'm just gonna call her ass. <laughs> so tell us, tell us a little Perfect. bit about Asmor. Um, okay. So this card with its very egregiously long name is uh, a legendary human wizard with no mana cost. Okay. Ban it. Busted. <laughs> uh, so, it is, as long as you've discarded a card this turn, you may pay hybrid black-red to cast this spell. Now, Jeff informed me on this earlier, this is not a go around the commander text, but still, one mana commander, not bad. And it's a 3-3. Three, three. The more exciting part of this card, though, is that when the card name enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a card named the Underworld Cookbook, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle. So I, immediately this card stood out to me, well, for a number of reasons. I mean, the name not having a CMC, well, it has a CMC zero, but not having a, a normal casting cost, and the fact that it's so deeply tied to this artifact, the Underworld Cookbook, 
in the lore that you get to tutor it up when you cast it. And I th- think that's really cool, and I kind of wish, to some degree, more spells would be like this. I, I understand how it would get really powerful, like if like General Ferris tutored up like Sunforger or something. That would be insane. And Bruh. it would be... You know, <laughs> it's kind of like the uh, the Oathbreaker format that like hit waves for about two seconds, like two years ago, which was like you get a commander and a signature spell, um, and they both go to the command zone. The final ability on this creature is sacrifice two foods. Target creature deals six damage to himself. So clearly meant to be uh, sort of themed around foods, but. Let, let me talk just quickly about what the Underworld Cookbook does as well, because this is where the foods come in. Um, <clears throat> the Underworld Cookbook is a one-mana artifact. You can tap it and discard a card to create a food, which is awesome. Or, you can tap four in it, sacrifice it, and return target creature from your graveyard to your hand. Which is pretty cool. And th- this, I think, falls squarely into the category of not overpowered, uh, like a Sunforger from Ferris would be. <laughs> so uh, I think <laughs> yeah. these two will make a great combination. And um, I'm interested to see a possibly slightly less powerful deck than Angie <laughs> that's themed around, like, discarding or, like, madness mm-hmm. or reanimation uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, so that would be cool. I'm going to keep my eye out for it. Yeah, kind of jumping on the train of a bit weird with uh, Commanders. My pick was Grist the Hunger Tide, um, which is kind of like if Oogie Boogie had a little bit more of a um, sort of muscular form. Chev, you stop cheating. That ain't a legendary creature. (laughs) Of course, Julian. It's a legendary planeswalker, but as long as it's anywhere but the battlefield, it is also a 1-1 insect creature in addition to its other types. These damn rules which allows it to be a commander, be in the zone. And that's kind of like what really drew me to it as, again, has a bit of a unique feel. So before we even get into the abilities of this Planeswalker, my mind was already kind of jumping into ways to kind of abuse this creature Planeswalker status. And so for starters, I was thinking, unless there's really a risk of exile, I don't think you you really want to be sending Grist to the command zone too often when we have cards like Call of the Death Dweller or Unearth or Gruesome Menagerie that allow you to pull back slow cost creatures because in the graveyard that's what grist is a three mana one one legendary insect and then when it hits you know it's got some abilities on it little uh little card actually printed in modern horizons that i mentioned earlier but it's a card called persist which is a one in a black uh return target that's non-legendary though son of a never freaking mind well i was gonna say it returns that creature that you target which apparently is a non-legendary wait does grist say he's a legendary on the well he's a legendary planeswalker and then he's a creature in addition to his other types Uh, and if he can be your commander that means he's a legendary creature planeswalker dang it okay okay well anyway persist returns them with a minus one minus one counter like the actual ability persists but since he's a planeswalker you would get around that but you can't even target him anyway so i'll just go Mm -hmm. fuck myself (laughs) yeah so there's there's like a lot of cool things and i i think there's going to be a lot of discovery to be done to really find out where the niche is for this kind of dual typed card and how to abuse it the most. But kind of jumping into the card itself, it's a three mana walker, comes down for three, plus one ability is create a one one black and green insect creature token, then mill a card. If an insect card is milled this way, put a loyalty counter onto Grist and repeat the process. So that's kind of cool. It, it, it kind of pushes you in the direction of insect tribal, but you also have those mill synergies going on. 
Um, the minus two ability is you may sacrifice a creature when you do destroy target creature or planeswalker. So we have a bit of targeted removal. You can get rid of the creatures you made or um, if they didn't chump. And then the minus five is each opponent loses life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. So again, it's it's not too broken like we've seen other other uh, planeswalkers, but it seems like a nice complementary set of abilities. I will say I just Googled this because I... Uh, Scryfall this because I was interested, but there's actually 145 insects just in Golgari. Yeah, but most are trash. Yeah, but You've there's got a couple that are okay. There's some good ones. I mean, there's Ant Queen, there's Bane of the Living, there's Brain Maggot, Caustic Caterpillar. But I'm just saying, you could there there. It's right. not a negligible clause. Yeah, you've you've got enough options. Like Mazarek Crawl Death Priest is a great example of a card that will synergize real well because that's whenever you sacrifice a permanent, put a one one counter on him. You have endless cockroaches, which of course you can sacrifice endlessly with a little bit of mana and more recently we've seen scute swarm but really you know if you want to make a powerful insect you're probably going to need a little bit of conspiracy action but to julian's point it's not completely out of the question also one other thing is it allows you to run mortal combat as a backup win con and i think any deck that gives you the ability to run mortal combat is a deck that's worth it for those unaware i believe it's like a four mana enchantment you win the game at the beginning of your upkeep if you have 20 or more creatures in your graveyard, which, you know, kind of works well with uh, Gris' secondary ability as a little bit of a backup one, too. I will say, though, there's a caveat. When that trigger goes on the stack, you don't actually win unless you say, finish him. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. You have to remember the uh, the eroded text. So, and then to sum it all up, Grist is exactly what I'm kind of looking for in a commander. You've got essentially a new type of card that can interact with the board in interesting ways, a solid suite of abilities that enable two main archetypes, sack and mill, uh, and even insect tribal if that's where you want to go, and a goal, sort of like a sub-theme of trying to hit Grist's ultimate by filling up your yard. So it just seems like an overall awesome pick, not too overpowered, a good sort of middle ground for Golgari and interesting stuff, and I'm ready to freaking rock it. I have to say... I'm thinking about this now and how much of, you know, minus the whole like, oh, if Grist isn't your commander, you can like Green Sun Z in this form or something. Mm-hmm. How much of the whole he's also technically an insect when he's not in the other zones? Is that just them being like, we just don't want to put the, the line of text Grist XYZ can also be your commander. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, that's definitely got to be some of it because we we obviously don't want to see that in any set that's not a commander set. But I think there was also like, at least with the flavor of Grista being just this horde of insects, it kind of gives it this like idea that until he's on the board, he's not corporeal. He's just like an, a little insect. And then they kind of swarm together to create this being. But it might have been stemmed out of the idea of, okay, you know, we want to create new ways for creatures to interact with mana cost and the command zone and here is a way of doing it yeah like maybe if if this was a design they knew of this could have been something that gideon had in his development as opposed to becoming a creature like maybe he was a creature in an older form but you know again i think this is just another tactic that hopefully we see in future but not too much of yeah i mean i like it and I, i do hope that we see a bit more of it um, and I do think it adds some interesting things, like I was saying, especially with like things like Green Sun Zenith, just other things that care about, like if you play yeah. a lead the stampede, you can technically get this guy, you know? So Julian, your, your pick for a card actually has a normal mana cost and is a creature. What, what Correct. It's almost like I'm trying to play the format as it was created. Yeah. My pick is General Ferris Rokirik. He is a legendary creature, human soldier. He costs one, a white, and a red. If there's one thing I like, it's not being weird in terms of mana costs and uh, types and uh, playing Boros. 
got everything going for you. There's a little lack of blue for you, Julian. But. Yeah, the thing about General Ferris for me is that he is a, a good step. Once again, uh, Wizards continues to step in the positive direction in terms of Boros and White in Commander. So General Ferris has Hexproof and Monocolored, so immediately I'm just like, this is nice. He dodges a lot of the most played removal in the format, so things like, you know, just basically any card in Chev's Toshiro deck, go for the throw, mm -hmm. uh, murder, Hero's Downfall, any of that sort of stuff. He also dodges Lightning Bolt, which, yes, people play in Commander. People should actually be playing that card more in Commander. He dodges uh, Path, Swords. He dodges uh, Not Overloaded Psychonic Rift, um, in case that's <laughs> something that you care about. But it's also thematic because he loves multicolored spells, as Oak mentioned earlier. Whenever you cast a multicolored spell on your turn, as many times as you want, on your opponent's turns, whatever, you get a 4-4 red and white golem artifact creature token, and he is a 3-1. So I already talked about how he has sort of built-in protection which is nice and then he's just another way that wizards has given boros card advantage without actually having you draw cards that's kind of been reserved for blue and black and now green because green gets to do whatever they want but um for white and red instead of just straight up drawing cards and having more cards to play as you play cards you get this added benefit of a 4-4 which is not negligible it's um red and white so it gets benefits from anything like that. We were just had our, our Lorwyn and Shadowmore episode last week, and uh, one of my personal favorite cards from that is Balefire Liege, which uh, gives all your white creatures plus one, plus one, gives all your red creatures plus Seems one, Seems like plus a one. solid include in this deck. Yeah, and also that card says whenever you play a white spell, you gain three life, and whenever you play a red spell, it gets to deal three damage to any target, uh, which if in this deck, I want to be playing all cards that are red and white. Great way to do that is Julian, play... are you saying we could see a return to a original Julian archetype of all cards in the deck being multicolored? I will say, Chev, that is part of what tickled my fancy about this is that uh, when I first started building decks, I'd say my first probably three decks, um, I was like, there are more than one color in this deck, therefore every card should be gold. Um, so I had a infamous uh, Momir Vig deck, but uh, the, actually the second deck that I built was a Tajik Blade of the Legion deck, which was just a Boros Attacky deck. But yeah, it was all multicolored cards, so I probably could just renew that and then just put uh, General Ferris at the helm. But yeah, so I want to be playing all those cards. Um, there's a lot of great ones, like things like Make Your Mark from the recent Strixhaven set, uh, Lightning Helix, um, or also just cards like Arrows of Justice, which is uh, two and then a hybrid Boros, deals four damage to a target attacking creature. Um, these are just all ways mm. to always be making golems, um, you know, always be closing, always be making golems, AB, uh, MG. And also, a great thing is that since this triggers literally whenever you cast any spell, uh, you can almost play a more spell-slingy sort of deck and be making golems on other people's turns to, like, ambush people in combat or, um, you know, just keep things up and then just be like, boom, 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 end of your turn. Now I have four golems and all of a sudden you're taking 16. And then there's just a bunch of other cool synergies in terms of making a bunch of tokens. You can play go wide, Cathar's Crusades type stuff, Anointed Procession. Um, they're also artifacts, so if you want to play things like the new legend from Commander 21 that cares about artifacts and deals direct damage, it hits so many different things in such a concise, nice card. Uh, it just really does it for me. So, pretty hype. I'm actually thinking I'm going to at least brew and test a deck like this, if not, if not make it in paper. So, finally, this brings us to our, our last topic, and hopefully this one has a bit of meat to it, where... You know, we, we've seen this whole set. It's got a ton of new cool things. We highlighted a couple of them. But really, some of these cards, I, I know for me personally, I looked at and instantly knew I had a home for them. Things 
all over the place for my various decks. And so I'm, I'm excited to kind of jump in and tell you if you have similar decks to kind of go into or ways that these can be abused in similar strategy. Chev, I'm going to let you finish. But first, I just got to say the only card that I know I'm 100% slotting in is Break the Ice. And that's for you, buddy. That's for you right there. What, so uh, so tell us tell us what Break the Ice does. Oh, I'm going to tell you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it to him. Uh, Break the Ice is a black sorcery. It costs black, black. This says destroy target land that is snow. Okay, we don't really play that much snow on our meta, and it's not super... I, this That that part might actually uh, see a little play in modern, but um, or could produce colorless mana. Ye old ye old diamond. Um, and it's also got overload for four black black, uh, which means that you replace all instances of target with each, so you would be destroying each land that is snow or could produce colorless mana. And um, there's a certain, certain person in our pod that we play with quite regularly who <laughs> likes to play colorless cards so uh i think i might be slotting this in just to hose that certain rat bastard yeah dark steel uh citadel if it's not in the Kozlike build will be going in immediately <laughs> i remember i got excited when i first saw this card because i thought it was ridiculous and i was like ah it's a way to destroy all snowlands that's great and then then i saw the claws for colorless and i got a little bit more spooked because there's another there's another anti-colorless cards in here that i don't think we're going to touch on it's a two mana artifact uh, something of the mirror, maybe void mirror, and it's like counter target spell if no colored mana was spent to cast it. And at first, that kind of concerned me. I was like, oh, easy. I've got lands that can tap for anything. I could slot in a few more three mana mana rocks. No problem. And Wizards was holding out on this to just blast a uh, colorless land base apart. So I'm not too thrilled with that one. All right. Well, anyway, sorry, Chev. I, I, now that I've instilled the fear of God in you, please, please carry on and tell us what you're adding to your decks. So yeah, unfortunately, there's not a lot of good colorless cards for the set. We're going to wait for the return to Innistrad when obviously Emrakul will come out of the moon. What I was more looking at is, one, coin flip support. Going to be honest, did not have coin flip support anywhere near my Modern Horizons 2 bingo board. Uh, but man, Okown and Zinder Split are pleased. Uh, we get a much needed reprint of Chance Encounters, as I previously mentioned. That was up to probably 15 uh, before the reprint here, and now it's down to four. It's a dumb card. But we also get a few new toys, like Usri Fortune's Fame, um, who is also the bundle promo, and that's you flip five cards, or you flip five coins, you take two damage for each coin you lose, draw a card for each you win, and if you win all five, get to play cards from your hand until end of turn without paying their mana cost. So absolutely awesome, instantly going in the coin flip deck. We also have Tavern Scoundrel, um, which is whenever you win a coin flip, make a treasure, and then he has... Tap one, him, sacrifice a permanent, flip a coin, which is going to go great with those synergies of Okown and Zinder Split that also care about coin flips and winning and give you another chance to buff Okown before combat um, or draw another card with Zinder Split. All these pieces are coming together. It's going to make that deck a little better because it's one of those themes that doesn't see a lot of attention. So it's very hard to figure out when to add new cards. Um, so super hyped for that. I got to say, I got a bone to pick. Wizards, you printed some real heaters in this for Commander and for Modern, but you put too many damn memes in this set with the freaking squirrels, with the <laughs> coin flip. Cut it out. I don't want your damn memes. Julian, you're just upset that you lost to a coin flip deck with some wonderful frenetic effort action. Listen, that's a whole other thing where the design, the game design and the rules have failed me and I'm over it. I'm just happy that Frenetic Sliver does not do the same thing because I, I couldn't handle the redundancy. That's true. 
like Julian said before anyone gets excited, Frenetic Sliver fixed the issue of Efreet, which allowed you to put an infinite number of activations on the stack by making Frenetic Sliver have to be in the battle on the battlefield for the trigger to go off. So I know it's a big bummer. Um, on a more sort of less gamey and memey setting, we have Smell Fear and Sylvan Anthem, both immediately going into my Hypatra deck. Smell Fear is proliferate and then fight for a green and one sorcery, which is fantastic with a commander that makes minus one, minus one counters and snakes with death touch. So you get that action of being able to put a minus one, minus one counter on something, make a new snake and fling it in the direction of a large creature. So it's also a removal spell. Sylvan Anthem gives all green creatures plus one, plus one. And whenever a creature enters the battlefield, scry one. Just like Path of Discovery before it, this isn't talking about non-token creatures. So we're getting a little buff for the snakes, making them two twos with death touch, which is phenomenal. But also whenever one enters, you get to scry. Path to Discovery let you explore, but I think scrying might be a little more useful in a commander game. And I think both of those are instant wins to help out a deck like this that cares about tokens and cares about counters. Well, I would like to go next. I already talked about Break the Ice. Um, I will say, though this set was ripe with good stuff and there's a few new decks that I think I want to build, there wasn't as many cards that I knew I immediately wanted to slot in just because I have kind of uh, tuned my deck so much to the point where it's like, any given set there's maybe like maybe one card but there are some really good ones first off for my tatiova deck my landfall deck uh there's this fancy card here called gaia's will uh which just once again proves that basically anything other colors can do green can also do we saw the uh, the green version of urborg just and this little, is the uh, suspend this is the uh the green version of a uh, yogmas will it, it, it is a suspend so it's a spend for for a green but um i'm sure there's ways that we can uh maybe just cast this without paying its mana cost and get past that whole thing and uh it says until end of turn you may play lands and cast spells from your graveyard uh, if a card would be put into your graveyard from anywhere this turn exile that card instead so in my tatiova deck where i want to um play lands this is pretty <laughs> solid i have uh, a few different ways to play multiple lands for the turn in that deck including things like wayward sword tooth ac tyrant of gyro Strait, uh, exploration so we can start getting crazy getting a bunch of extra lands to fuel things like all the different landfall triggers that I have in this de that deck, of which I have many, but also uh, things like Field of the Dead. Everybody loves little Field of the Dead, don't they? Um, yeah. And also, <laughs> just if, you know, maybe I played something and I want another copy, or maybe I played something and it got countered and I want to do it again, big old guy as well, baby. So uh, that's probably going to find a spot in Tatiova. Another good one is the Archon of Cruelty, uh, which is a... A big beefy boy. This is probably the premier reanimator target for this set. Like I was saying, there's a reanimator uh, sub-theme. Six black black, so eight mana, not cheap. It's a 6-6 six, six flyer, and it says, whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, so we've got the, the titan clause here, target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker, discards a card, and loses three life. And you draw a card and gain three life. Oh boy. This is going right into my Esper Control deck just because there are some ways to reanimate in that deck. And also, after we've kind of uh, one for one and raft and cleared the board and made sure that everyone's kind of used most of their resources, just slamming this guy on an open board or on a, a very light board, it's just so much value. Even if it gets killed almost immediately, it ate a removal spell, killed a creature, had someone discard a card and lose three life, and I am up a card and gain three life. Uh, I don't, I didn't do the math, but that's like, like an eight for one. 
Um, God forbid I actually get to keep it and start attacking and triggering and hitting you for six in the yeah. face. Yeah, this is just the ultimate top end for a control deck, and I will be putting this in my uh, my Chromium Esper control deck immediately. It'll probably see play in a Toshiro as well, because that one has quite a few ways to bring things back. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. And uh, the last one is one that I actually have a in common with Oak, and that is Rise and Shine. And Rise and Shine is um. It's an interesting card. I'm actually thinking of putting this in the Grixis Artifact Tokens list that I've been working on, which uh, for those of you who've been watching Year of Brew, it was number eight or nine, basically trying to generate as many treasures as possible. Well, I played it a couple times during game night, and I've been slowly but surely turning it into more of a powerhouse. Uh, and Rise and Shine is a sorcery for one and a blue, and it says target non-creature artifact you control becomes a 0-0 artifact creature. Put four plus one plus one counters on each artifact that became a creature this way. And with the each, you might have guessed, it's got overload for four blue blue. So if I'm generating a, a, a butt ton of treasures, as I'm known to do in that deck, and then I just decide I want to overload, now all of a sudden I have 24 four staring you down. Pretty powerful. So uh, excited to add this Decent. to that deck and uh, get crack-a-lack. Yeah, so I think I, I too would really like Rise and Shine for similarly malicious reasons, except uh, mine would probably go into more of like, uh, if you recall a while ago, uh, Group Brew. We did one of those pretty recently, but our first one, Glacian, Power Stone Engineer, fit, you know, right into that deck. Type of deck where you're trying to play like um, Antiquities War and, you know, hit that third stage of the saga where all your, you know, all your artifacts become... Uh, five five creatures until the end of the turn. Well, this is basically that, except you get to just do it right away for six mana, uh, thanks to that n awesome overload cost. So they also stay creatures. Yes, that is true. They they do stay creatures this time, unlike Antiquities War, which it just like you know they're just like all right, boys, wake up, go to work, <laughs> and then back to sleep. Yep, yep. <laughs> like see ya. <laughs> um, which you know has has uh, benefits and drawbacks, but um, I don't have a, a currently active Glacian deck, but Seeing a lot of these cards is really making me want to create one because we've had some sweet additions, you know, for just for decks that want to make a ton of artifacts, kind of like Julian was mentioning. So one which I think is really sweet that unfortunately Julian wouldn't be able to slot into his Grixis Treasures deck would be Search the Premises. Um, this is kind of like, if you ask me, it's like a little bit more balanced version of... Or, well, it just makes me think a lot of Smothering Tithe. It's a four-mana enchantment. Whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, investigate. So, and notice it is not whenever one or more creatures attack you. That's for each creature attacking you, you get to investigate. Which is cool. Uh, yet another way Wizards is trying to give White some, some sort of, like, off-brand card advantage. Finally, if we want to create even more artifacts... We're making a lot of treasures, we're making a lot of clues, maybe we're making some food. Well, our man, Academy Manufactor, is going to create <laughs> one of each every time we make them. So, Academy Manufactor is a three generic mana assembly worker artifact creature. If you would create a clue, food, or treasure token, instead create one of each. So imagine you have Search the Premises out and Academy Manufacturer, and an opponent attacks you with, like, five creatures. That's like, you're you're eating good. Oh, yeah, you are. You're swimming in gold. <laughs> Let's just say. Bro, that's when, you, uh, that's when you got that Reckless Fire Weaver out, and you're just like, everybody take 15. Yeah. <laughs> that's when you have, like, you have this guy out, and you play um, Brass's Bounty, and you're just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, make, crap. Yeah. That spicy. That's Making dangerous. Making a ton of artifacts, yep. So, Dang. again... 
really make me want to make, like, a Glacian-type deck, or just, like, an artifact, like, quantity over quality-type deck. Considering all three of your picks were for this Glacian deck, which yep. you had already put the most effort into out of any of us on that one episode, I think you're obligated to now make this deck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah or, it's or you were making one already, and this was your kind of way to introduce it. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> you're like, hey, so guys, I was thinking about making this deck, and then tomorrow at game night, he's just going to be like, all right, so I have... All 100 cards in Japanese form. Nah, nah. If it's, if it's Oak on game night, it would be on brand to not have the mana base done in any reasonable <laughs> amount of time. So you'll have everything else ready. I gotta put together this three-color mana base in five minutes. Uh, that was the one to help me out. Dude, you do get the um, another cool cycle that is in uh, Modern Horizons 2 that might actually seem some modern play is uh, Ooh, yeah, the yeah. tap artifact indestructible dual land. So there's one for each two color pair. Yes. They enter tapped, mm -hmm. they're artifacts, and they're also indestructible, and they tap for, you know, two different colors of mana. I mean, you get to play, what, three of those in your yep. uh, in your Glacian deck? So, yeah, yeah. Th those that's a nice little include there, artifacts too. Artifacts that ain't going away. Yes. Yes, those will absolutely be included because I get to hit those off into Quiddies 4, and I only have, like, teen actual artifacts in that deck. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. All the rest are just artifact generators. So yeah, Glacian deck coming to a store near you. I, I just want to echo something Julian said before, which is that there's a lot of cards in this set that I would be very happy to pull and probably could slot into an EDH deck. Um, like, I mean, all the Evoke Elementals, really, and, you know, like Archon of Cruelty. Rather than going through, like, the entirety of those, I'm just going to pick my favorite of the bunch, which is just straight up, damn. <laughs> Damn, son. Uh, damn. <laughs> two Where'd mana. Find this? Two mana sorcery. Destroy target creature. Damn. <laughs> um, or you can, you can overload it for Wrath of God mana and essentially just cast Wrath of God, too, if you want to be uh, fancy about it. But, yeah, damn. <laughs> damn is right. Yeah, I did not I did not include that, but that probably will find its way into uh, my Esper control deck as well. Well... I think we've pretty much uh, gave the definitive, comprehensive, no ifs, ands, or buts about it takes on this here set right cha. So, if you want to hear more content like this, there's a bunch of different places you can go. Obviously, you can listen to this podcast. Uh, you're listening to it probably on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, maybe even on Anchor.fm, or maybe even another place that you might find podcasts on the internet. I don't even know all the places, but I know that we're there. So listen to the podcast there, share it with your friends, have a great time. You can also go to our website, hexdrinkers.com. You can read a bunch of articles that we uh, put out. You can see some of our mo most recent videos. You can even find out if we are streaming at that very second. And you can click that button, which will take you over to twitch.tv slash hexdrinkers and check out our stream. You can go to youtube.com uh, slash hexdrinkers to see... Highlights of the stream, other recorded video content. Um, usually that's going to be gameplay, like I'm saying. Maybe we'll even delve into the modern format after this, since uh, we got this new influx of stuff. Play a little Moto. That's a little outside our uh, our comfort range, I would say, but might happen. We'll see how it's going on. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, you know, hit us up on the socials. You can go email us at hexdrinkers at gmail.com. You can find us at hexdrinkers at Twitter and Instagram. Instagram. We're going to be over there interacting with the community, talking it up. Let us know what are your prime picks for Modern Horizons 2. Did you agree with us? Did you disagree with us? Did we forget anything? What you're brewing? What you're excited about? And uh, everything in between. And if you want to help support the show, if you want to get access to more content, um, I don't know immediately 
how long the podcast you're listening to right now is, but we're currently at just about an hour and 26. So if you want the full, uh, you know, hour and a half version of this podcast, if you want all of our notes and all the actual physical things we wrote down, if you want a shout out on the pod, if you want us to even do a full deck tech and deck upgrade of your deck on the pod, go over on the Patreon slash hex shrinkers every little bit helps out we really appreciate it helps us grow get to new listeners continue to do the things that we do so if you want to do that thank you thank you to all of our current patrons for chev and oak and eric from his comfy seat on the beach that bastard this has been the hex shrinkers and we're signing out (laughs) 